welcome to Knowing Nature, a podcast about exploring and engaging with the natural world. I'm Victor. And I'm Annabeth. And this week we're talking about frogs! Ribbit, ribbit. Oh, we are really, really excited to get into this today because frogs is definitely one of our favourite animals, one of our favourite topics, and we have a lot actually to get through today. We're going to be chatting about what makes a frog a frog. We're going to talk about why they're so cool. Talk about maybe some of the threats that's facing them, unfortunately. And we've got a few activity ideas that you can do at home to help out frogs. Mm-hmm. And engage with them a little bit better, because they're kind of maybe the lesser lesser loved by sort of groups of people. I think mammals, the kind of cute, cuddly, furry, t- tend to get a lot of love from the public and from groups and like kids especially, but frogs are just as cool and we are going to prove it to you, which yeah. is really exciting. I think probably a good place to start would just be kind of general, very easy history on the humble frog. Of a frog, yeah. What, yeah. what is a frog? Tell us about frogs. So frogs are in a group of amphibians. These are, they're known for their dual lifestyle. So they start their life in the water and then move on to land. They've been around actually for a really, really, really long period of time. Actually, the first amphibians were around 370 million years ago and they're descendants of some fleshy finned fish. So they're the first animals to kind of move onto land and also the first, what we call the quadrupeds, the first animals with four legs, which is quite exciting. Obviously, we're thinking of these early amphibians. When we think of other amphibians, we've got kind of got newts and salamanders and also the very interesting Sicilian. We'll probably just focus on our frogs and toads, though, today. Yeah, so frogs are one of the most diverse groups of vertebrates on the Earth. There's some 6,300 species And that's about 80% of the amphibian species. So the other ones are, as you mentioned, the newts. And Sicilians are weird. They're like... Giant worms. worms. Yeah, they're yeah. really, 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 really cool. But yeah, like a lot fewer species of them than the other ones, for sure. Big thing about frogs as well is that they are what we call ectothermic, or otherwise known as cold-blooded. So that includes things like our reptiles. Um, And the big thing with amphibians and frogs is that their skin, they have really, really amazing skin. It's one of my favourite things. They can breathe through their skin, or rather that they, um, their skin's very sensitive to their environments. And going back to the dual life cycle, of course, frogs are really well known for... Uh, having that change from the egg and they hatch out into a tadpole and then they start to grow arms and legs and then they lose their tail and suddenly they're a frog so they just go through this metamorphosis and probably like i think that's that metamorphosis is a really really exciting concept i think to children because when we've ever run sessions near ponds the big question we always get asked are do you have tadpoles are there tadpoles i think tadpoles are kind of really 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 exciting one of my favorite things i think that yeah yeah and that transformation is so magical because they they go from not having arms and legs to having arms and legs and then their tail is gone Mm -hmm. and suddenly they can hop around on land Mm -hmm. i think it'd be yeah so what would you say is your like favorite thing what's your favorite thing about frogs so my favorite frog fact is love a frog fact their the the way that they eat is really weird so their tongue is not anchored at the back of their mouth it's anchored at the front of their mouth so they can fling it out there to catch things to grab things but then when they actually catch things their mouth makes up so much of their head that they don't have the muscles like in a throat to swallow it to push it down oh my god so what do they do they have to blink they use their eyeballs to push food down their throat oh my into their goodness stomach. so whenever you watch a frog if you watch it sort of catch and eat something then it has to blink and it actually Push, uses its eyelids to push its eyes that in. That is crazy. And that's how it's followed. I think that's going to be something that's going to keep in my head now when I have 
my dinner and my breakfast and all other meals. I'm probably going to blink the whole way through. The whole way through. Every time you swallow a blink, you just use your, your eyes to just shut it down. Dying. Oh, I mean, frog eyesight's pretty incredible though as well. But maybe probably my favourite fact that I find out about frogs and amphibians in general is that all, every single one, has poison glands in their skin. But only a select few actually produce those famous secretions that we see in like dart frogs and things like that which i think is really really cool that they all have it so i wonder if they evolved it at some point or why they needed it way back in the day in the age of amphibians what a glorious time (laughs) (laughs) amphibians everywhere yeah so another question that we get very often is frogs versus toads what's the difference Mm -hmm. and the answer is there is not a difference Mm -hmm. toads is a common name that we give frogs that have certain characteristics like, like dry skin, dry skin, warts, mm-hmm. spending time on land. Mm-hmm. But there is not a taxonomic difference. Mm-hmm. For a while, I also thought that there was a difference in how they lay their eggs. Yeah, and like, how they move around certain bodies of water as yeah, well. Like, so yeah, uh, oftentimes frogs will lay their eggs just like in a big clump, and mm-hmm. then I've seen it a distinction that toads will lay their eggs mm-hmm. in strings, mm-hmm. but that is not true yeah. of all animals that we would call toads. Yeah, and actually the reproductive strategies of frogs are so much more incredibly diverse than people think. There's ones that lay the eggs on their backs and carry them around. There's ones that have them in their mouths. Like, yeah, strings of it. Well, there's like, I think there's like, even if we're thinking of like newts for a second, I think there's like a newt that wraps up each egg individually in a little, in a little leaf, leaf in a yep. one, yep. which is adorable. But yeah, very diverse. So frogs versus toads, no difference between mm-hmm. them. It's just some things have these certain characteristics, but in uh, one of the taxonomic families, you'll have some species that have the characteristics that mm-hmm. would make us call it a toad so the drive the warty skin mm-hmm. but in that same family you'll have other species that we would call frogs mm-hmm. they've got the sort of wetter slimy kind of looking skin mm-hmm. uh, and spend more time in water so no taxonomic difference between them yes yeah, so you could arguably say that whilst all toads are frogs not all frogs are toads yeah there we go riddle me that yes yeah. <laughs> Uh, so back onto the the poison. I think that's mm-hmm. a really cool topic. Oh, uh, I think I think poison frogs are just poison frogs. When people think of the tropical frog, I think kids definitely instantly think of the dart frogs. They're really brightly coloured, exciting guys that yeah have the poison in their skin to keep off predators and things like that. I think they're one of the most arguably charismatic groups of frogs. I think so they're very attractive, <laughs> colourful. So. That their poison, how they get that, is from their diet, from the food they eat. So This is a big question, actually, we get asked a lot, is how do they just create it organically themselves? But it's actually from the food, but their food isn't poison. Like, if you think about it, their food, is obviously not poisonous, so if it was poisonous, it would poison them. Yeah, so go into this a little bit more. I'm very, very intrigued by this. So tropical plants, so mm-hmm. this is the... Uh, tropical plants produce a whole range of chemicals mm-hmm. as a way of fending off insects and caterpillars and other things Mm -hmm. that are wanting to eat the leaves so they produce these chemicals now uh, these insects are eating these leaves and things so they're in this evolutionary this evolutionary arms race right where caterpillars and things they are evolving resistance to these chemicals that the plants are evolving Mm -hmm. as well so the plants create more and then they evolve a little bit more exactly and then you get the frogs and they're Mm -hmm. coming in and they're eating these various insects and 
The frogs have evolved mm -hmm. a resistance to those chemicals as well. With some of them, it just takes a while for the chemicals to break down or to clear from their system. So mm -hmm. it just kind of builds up in their body. Uh, with others, they, they actually actively store it in certain parts of their body. And most often that's in their skin. Wow, in these, like, in these glands that they all have. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then that means that when they're eaten by something else, mm. then they've sort of bioaccumulated, we've mentioned this before, mm -hmm. all of these toxins and it makes them super toxic. So there are ones that are so toxic that, you know, they can, what is it, like a drop from mm -hmm. them can kill like a hundred people or something yeah. like that. Um, Which is why the dark frogs are known as the dark frogs, not for any other reason other than people, the indigenous communities near them, would collect them and actually put them in their darts to use as weapons. Yeah, which is they why would they get coat, colloquial... yeah. coat the darts with the toxins. Mm -hmm. And they're very, uh, they can be very fast-acting toxins as well. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, like, why, why don't these frogs poison themselves? There was one study done that was looking at the mechanism behind this, and what they found is that this frog species had evolved a slight change to the neurotransmitter receptor uh, that this toxin would affect. And it just changed the shape of it just slightly so that this particular toxin doesn't bind to that receptor anymore. It doesn't attach wow, to it. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So then that means that they're immune to this particular one. And the reason that things are susceptible to it is that the toxin is similar in shape to a neurotransmitter that we naturally would have. So it's very similar, but slightly different shape. And yeah. sometimes what can happen is the toxin will, sometimes it blocks that channel mm -hmm. um, or sometimes it forces it open. And that's where you get this difference between toxins that can paralyze you where you like seize up all your muscles mm -hmm. tense up or you just go completely numb and then your mm -hmm. heart ends up stops stops beating and that's not uh, ideal <laughs> no not ideal but what's happened with this frog is that the receptor has changed the shape around the receptor was slightly different and it meant that the toxin didn't bind to it but the normal receptor the normal um neurotransmitter still made it through this channel Wow, yeah. So they they could behave in sort of the normal way, but this toxin couldn't get in. It's amazing how they've evolved. This has evolved in them. Like it's just unbelievable. It's I think the cool. other thing that really surprised me about frogs is you when you think of frogs and poison, you don't think of venomous frogs, but there are venomous frogs in the world. So hold on, difference between venomous and poisonous. Oh, this is a big thing we get a lot. So poison it has to be ingested. So this is something that is secreted through the skin and you have to yeah, digest it in a way. You have to eat it. Eat it pretty much. It has to get in like into your digestive system in that way. Whereas venom needs injected and it has to actually reach your bloodstream. It has to get into your blood. So if people say, oh, you could eat the most venomous snake in the world and be absolutely fine. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but yeah, it's not getting, it's that sort of difference. So the idea, yes, we can have poisonous frogs, but they have a mechanism in which to inject their poison into you, thus becoming venomous. So what is the mechanism? How? So this is, they... yeah, some of them, it's basically bony protrusions so there's frog species of frog that have bony protrusions coming out of their face and they actually headbutt their headbutt prey headbutt predators um to keep them away and there's other ones that have their ribs that actually break through their skin oh it's so it's so graphic but amazing yeah break through their skin and can then therefore inject the poison that way and they're actually because amphibians can regrow limbs amazingly they're known for it then their ribs turn regrow fix good as new 
Bish bosh bosh, ready wow. to go. Incredible. Okay, so on the topic of amphibian regeneration, <laughs> I was reading a study because I I have pet poison dart frogs, the tiny ones, and beautiful, the beautiful little babies. <laughs> so I was wondering, like, how do scientists study the behavior of these tiny frogs? Like, figure out where their nesting sites are, and scientists have tried like. They're very tiny, mm -hmm. so it's very difficult to attach like a little radio transmitter to them. Oh my god, that was so, so adorable, though. <laughs> yeah, um, and if you think of the shape of them, where would you where do would it? you attach it? They can just like slide it off them. They don't really have necks. <laughs> no, they're just like a ball shape, so they could slide <laughs> it off anywhere. So then the next thought was, okay, so we need to put in maybe a little microchip transmitter inside. So they implanted a bunch of frogs with these microchips. Mm -hmm. They released them again. And then they were finding these just microchips just on the ground. And they're like, oh, no, like our frogs are getting eaten or something like that. Um, but it turns out what's happening is the frogs were actually excreting the microchips. No. They were weeing them out. Oh, my goodness. So what happens is the frogs, when they have a foreign body in them, so... Uh, they just, were like aware that there was something in them that shouldn't, not, maybe not so aware. So what, what their like, body yeah. does is it kind of envelops the foreign body, mm -hmm. whatever it is, and then it moves it to the frog's bladder, and then the frog wheezes it out. Oh my goodness. So that's what was happening with these microchips. Like microchip kidney stones. Basically, yeah. <laughs> but it can be somewhere else in the body, so it's not even in your kidney, you know? It's just like somewhere in your abdominal cavity. And then your body just like, it's like, that's not supposed to be here. It's not here. I'm going to just Intruder alert. slowly move it into the bladder and then out it comes. Oh my goodness. I wonder if it hurts them as much as a kidney stone hurts anyone. Their bladders are so tiny. Oh, that's crazy. Well, it's kind of blown my mind a little bit. Oh my goodness. Incredible. So, frogs. Amazing. Just like we've only just listed a few of the things that excite. There's also color change in frogs. There's frogs that are see-through. In particular, I've studied glass frogs before, and you can actually, if you collect them and put them in something transparent, flip them over, you can see their tiny little frog hearts beating through their bodies. Just incredible. There's the different varieties of parental care. There's just so much to go into. We've only touched touch the surface tip of the iceberg yeah. when it comes to the frog but i think something that we definitely need to talk to which is a huge 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 thing is actually the threats facing our beloved frogs so probably number one threat to frogs globally is habitat loss mm -hmm. so frogs are amphibians which means they're dependent on mm -hmm. water and wet places and damp places mm -hmm. wetland habit habitats are the most threatened habitats in the world i think it's pretty fair to say mm -hmm. and that's because they're generally low-lying flat habitats which means excellent for development yeah which means build a dam dry it out put up a set of houses yeah or, or yeah drainage ditches drainage, yeah they're great for farming as well because again mm -hmm. very flat wetland habitats are also often really fertile because they've got lots of accumulated mm. biomatter like peat and mm. other things like natural that. water as well yeah. yeah which makes them prime location mm -hmm. for farming building mm -hmm. so habitat loss huge threat mm -hmm. um the other thing is that the reason there's so much diversity in frogs is because they live in a really wide range of different mm -hmm. places find on every continent on earth bar Antarctica, yeah. I believe, yeah. But they also, most of them, don't move around that much, which means that in each different area, you'll end up with speciation, with different species. Mm -hmm. So particularly in tropical regions, you'll get some of the very small dart frogs. 
there's a few um, like canyons in areas of Peru and Brazil. And what will happen is actually along the length of that canyon or along the length of that river, you'll have a species that will have different color forms along the length of that river. Okay, so cool. one will have maybe more yellow spots mm -hmm. on one end of the canyon. And then as you move down, you'll see that the spots, you know, it goes from kind of being yellow to mm -hmm. orange and maybe it slowly gets from spots to stripes from one end mm -hmm. to the other. And over time, what will happen to these populations is that the ones at the top end, the yellow spot ones, mm -hmm. they could go off to become a totally different species from the one at the other end because they don't move around that much, mm -hmm. which means there's not very much gene flow. Mm -hmm. They don't interbreed with one another. Yeah, so the so variation gets more and more and more and more. Exactly, and the populations yeah. drift apart. Mm -hmm. You know, that means you can get all these different very specialized species and they can also specialize in terms of their breeding sites. So there are, you know, the frogs that we're familiar with, they'll breed in ponds. Mm -hmm. But again, in these tropical areas, frogs have evolved to take advantage of any tiny pool of water. Mm -hmm. But different species will specialize in the size of pools mm -hmm. of water. Yeah, like, for instance, in some of the frogs in the Caribbean, it tends to be below the leaves. They'll actually have, um, they'll want to stay on the leaf that's above a pool of water. So their tadpoles, when they're time to hatch, they can drop, plop, still into this tiny little pool. And they'll have different frogs on different leaves, having their actual frog spawn on this, um, on this leaf, ready mm -hmm. to plop down and into the little pond waiting below. Yep. And like, then there's frogs where Prime they... real estate. Yeah. <laughs> There's the frogs that lay their eggs on in the leaf litter on the ground, and then when the eggs hatch, mm -hmm. the parents will carry them up the trees to tiny pools of water in bromeliads. So these can be as little as like 10, 15 milliliters mm -hmm. of water, these frogs dependent. It's, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. I believe there's a frog that keeps its eggs moist by weeing on them. That is true love from a parent. I think there's one of those, mm -hmm. yeah. And then um, there are also frogs that will nest in holes where the opening is as small as one or two centimeters so in a tiny tiny tree cavity unbelievable yeah now tadpoles what do tadpoles eat tadpoles are vegetarian herbivore <laughs> and yet the adults are carnivores all yeah all frogs and toads adults are carnivores yeah, yeah. which is a really neat transformation mm -hmm. and but... frogs actually if you ever look at a frog's skull they actually do have tiny little teeth tiny yeah, tiny, tiny little, little bumpy teeth, teeth which you wouldn't have thought um, so there are some tadpoles that are not quite vegetarian. Ooh. So these, so the vegetarian ones, you know, they're feeding on algae that's growing in the water body. Mm -hmm. But if you are living in a tiny hole in the tree, there is not much light that's going to get in there. So not much algae is able to grow. No. So what are you going to eat? Oh my God, please don't say they eat each other. The parents <laughs> will lay unfertilized eggs. Oh, okay. That makes and then the tadpole sense. eats those eggs. So the parents come yeah. by like mum will come by every day mm -hmm. and sometimes it's five, ten different spots mm -hmm. that the dad will lead the mum to and, mm -hmm. the, and, and then he'll signal to her, there's one in here. And then she goes in, lays a feeder egg and then they go off to the next one. I mean, I think, I think, I, I think I've heard, yeah, that's, I think I've heard of that before. That's yeah. still, it still blows your mind a bit. So you could say not all tadpoles are vegan. No. <laughs> Some eat eggs. Some eat eggs. They're over, what, what is it? Ovo... Ovo-itarian? Yeah, they're not really lacto-ovo-itarian. <laughs> no. Anyways, eat eggs. That's incredible. 
Frogs, very sensitive to habitat loss because mm-hmm. they don't move around very much. Yeah, they're so reliant for the reproductive strategies. Like, they're so reliant on the water that they can access, but also, yeah, the land yeah. for when they're adults. Yeah. Um, so the next thing that the threat that I think's kind of crucial to talk about, because it's a big one that we know about, but actually not a lot of people might be aware of, is something known as the chytrid fungus. So this is a fungus that affects the um, skin of the frogs, which is a really huge part of them. It's what a lot of them kind of with this. They do have lungs, but they tend to they can breathe through it as well. Yeah. Super, super sensitive to any change. Yeah, it can cause thickening of the skin. Mm-hmm. And because the skin is so important mm-hmm. for breathing and whatnot, mm-hmm. a change in the structure of the skin means that they're not able to breathe as well. They're not as mm-hmm. able to regulate their the amount of water in their body. Mm-hmm. And it, it can lead to death. Mm-hmm. And in some populations, the mortality the rate, well, there's a really big range but very often the mortality mm-hmm. is going to be something like 70% up to 100%. Just, yeah, it's pretty terrifying. Areas. Yeah, because it has spread nearly worldwide. It's basically global. It's basically global. Um, and some in part believe due to climate change, due to heating up and being, you know, able to survive much better. And also due to the illegal wildlife trade, to populations and groups being moved around the world so much more rapidly and coming and non-infected populations coming to contact with ones that actually carry the fungus. Yeah, there are some links perhaps with um, bullfrogs, like invasive species, mm-hmm. so frogs being introduced to different areas of the world to control pests, mm-hmm. except that that didn't work out, and mm-hmm. then they spread diseases to the local populations Classic that might human not, meddling. Yeah, Classic human meddling. That might not have resistance to this, this particular fungus. Mm-hmm. Um, another big one is people and potentially just tourists actually because if you walk around in a wet muddy boggy Mm. area and then you've got the mud on your shoes but um, the fungal spores can live can survive in that mud on your shoes for a little while so Mm -hmm. if you then go to another location and walk around there you're just spreading it you're spreading around the fungus Mm -hmm. so that's a big one there's also just the fact that they're in a wetland habitat, so that water moves around. Mm-hmm. And so if one area is infected, if it's particularly if it's moving water, then that's going to carry mm-hmm. the fungus downstream. Another disease affecting frogs that I discovered is the ranavirus. Yeah, so I have heard of that viral one, yeah. infection. Similar thing where it's now found nearly globally, and the spread of it is, again, tied to human action. Mm-hmm. So it's probably spread around it can affect reptiles and fish in Mm -hmm. addition to amphibians and so moving fish around releasing like pet goldfish that might be affected with ranavirus into a pond can spread the disease there yeah people would put their it's like people release little terrapins and like in britain it's like he's not native here anyway a topic for another day guys a topic for another day Um, And then there's the same problem of having the virus on your boots and Mm -hmm. and whatnot, and then you go to another habitat, can spread the disease as well. And again, it can have really high mortality rates up to Mm -hmm. like 50%, 70%. I think the really scary thing about these threats that are facing them is that many living species, current living species of frogs are endangered and nearly, I think over, I think about 10 years ago, they said that about 600 species were critically endangered. I mean, it's likely to say that that was 10 years ago. Now it's probably even more. Yeah. They and call we've, it, yeah. we've certainly lost quite mm-hmm. a few amphibian species yeah, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah, they call the amphibian extinction rate one of the greatest extinctions of all time, like even surpassing that of the dinosaurs, because obviously dinosaurs went extinct over a period of hundreds of millions of years, this is happening in mere decades, yeah. which is terrifying. And really quite a terrifying. lot of it due mm-hmm. to human actions. Yeah. So, 
if we're causing a lot of these problems, surely there must be some things that we can you do hope. to fix it. <laughs> we would hope. So with the spread of disease, a really simple one is if you go and visit somewhere wet and you end up with muddy boots, wash off your boots. Wash off your boots. Just wash them off, let them dry, maybe leave them in the sun because then that UV light, that's actually a sterilizing agent. So mm -hmm. just leave them there, let them dry out and that will reduce the transmission mm -hmm. of disease by a lot. By a lot, yes. Just simple, simple things. Yeah. And then the other one is if you have maybe a garden pond and you're putting fish or plants into mm. your garden pond, pond, make sure they are from a reputable supplier mm -hmm. as well. Um, preferably... Non-invasive. Yes. I mean, <laughs> of course non-invasive. And then um, also preferably quarantine your plants first mm. or other things if you can. And by that, I mean, keep them in a bucket or something, keep them in a separate container where amphibians and things cannot access it and let them grow in there mm -hmm. for a few weeks. And what that's going to do is if there is a fungus or a virus in there, remember, those need a host to survive. And if it's just a plant in there, then without the host, that'll reduce the chances of that organism, the infectious organism being able to survive. That way, when you put it into your pond and amphibians might come and visit, there's a much lower chance of spreading the disease mm -hmm. that way. So quarantine your stuff as much as possible if you can. Just as we quarantine from traveling from country to country with pets or bringing over, yeah, it stands to reason you'd quarantine anything before you introduce it to that little frog's habitat yeah. at home. Yeah. <laughs> so say, for instance, though, you want to create a habitat for frogs. You don't have a pond in your garden, but you have the space for it. Are there good ways to go about actually creating a pond or digging a pond up for to welcome frogs into your neighborhood? Yeah, so a pond does not need to be big to support wildlife. So I've seen people and Good all they hear. have is you have like a bucket <laughs> and then that's all you need. And it, it really the is all pond. you need. Um, frogs will, will probably will need a, a slightly larger pond than that. But if you want to support just insect life and birds, mm -hmm. then something as small as a yeah, bucket which can, is also totally wonderful for work. biodiversity yeah. also good yeah don't yeah. forget the little guys like insects so it doesn't need to be huge mm -hmm. uh if you are digging a pond some good things to note are if you've got trees in your yard don't put your pond right under your tree how come because Intrigued. so when autumn comes as the leaves fall into the pond as they rot that can that rotting process takes oxygen out of the water mm -hmm. and if there's too much of it at once that sudden loss of oxygen can sort of kill most of the larger creatures that are in there. Um, the other thing is it can potentially lead to buildup of things like nitrates, which are yeah. toxic uh, in very high concentrations. Mm -hmm. So site, do you don't want to site it directly under a tree. Yeah. If you can site it somewhere where it's not going to get full sun, mm -hmm. this is more for humans, really, because... Having lots of sunlight encourages lots of algal growth, and people don't like when their ponds go green, mm -hmm. but that is not going to harm the wildlife. Yeah, but people just, it's not aesthetically pleasing exactly. now, is yeah. it? So that's why you want partial shade <laughs> partial if you shade. can. Yeah. So then that will reduce the growth of algae. What sort of depth will it need? Because obviously, if you're living somewhere you know, that has a winter, it might freeze. And obviously freezing, I don't know, is freezing bad? Freezing not great for frogs. I know some frogs no, hibernate. It doesn't matter. Interesting. As really? long as your pond is not going to freeze top to bottom, uh -huh. then it's fine. But if your pond freezes over completely, then your frogs will be fine. If they're in there, if the frogs have stayed in your pond over winter, 
then it means that they're fine hibernating down there. Because if you think about, again, remember they're ectothermic, so they're yeah. cold-blooded. Mm -hmm. That means that when temperatures drop, their metabolism slows down really as well. slows down. So they don't need as much oxygen. Mm -hmm. So they're able to get the oxygen they need just through their skin. Mm -hmm. So they can sit buried in the mud, bottom of the pond, both through winter, they'll be fine. Yeah, because there is like a species of frog that technically freezes freezes solid. Yes. In there are also commas. frogs yeah. that do that. So you don't have to worry about your pond freezing over completely. Again, just incredible. Where it can be a problem, Problem maybe mm -hmm. is if your pond is going to freeze totally solid top to bottom to prevent that you just need to make sure that your pond is it depends on your latitude but mm -hmm. where we are around London latitude a depth of 40 to 60 centimeters is going to be fine and if you're in oh, London nice. it doesn't even need to be that deep because mm -hmm. we've got the urban heat island kind of effect mm -hmm. so particularly if your pond is going to be kind of close to your house even that amount of warmth is going to keep it from freezing totally, completely solid, like down mm -hmm. into the mud. But generally, over winter, you might get a layer of ice half a centimeter thick, mm -hmm. maybe, and that's not a problem mm -hmm. at all. Fantastic. Are there like certain plants that you would recommend for ponds? So there's types of plants. Mm -hmm. So putting plants around the edge of the pond mm -hmm. are definitely good, because if you think about... Being a frog, they want to access the pond and have some kind of cover so that birds don't mm -hmm. just swoop in and eat them. So like things like, I'm going to imagine, tell me if I'm wrong, but things like water lilies with the huge pads that kind of cover a little bit but on the surface, would they be good for... Yeah, that can be fine. Um, what you are going to want is some kind of plant growing in the pond mm -hmm. and so something a bit more leafy than the water lily because mm -hmm. that gives tadpoles a place to hide from <laughs> so um, cute <laughs> yeah to hide from things like birds and other predators mm -hmm. dragonfly nymphs big tadpole yeah exactly predator yeah yeah and having that kind of submerged plant life is also surface area for algae to grow on mm -hmm. and then the tadpoles will be scraping yeah. the algae off you still want surfaces. a bit of algae that's their tadpoles yeah that's source. what they eat or you can eat buffet mm -hmm. yeah so say you can't necessarily dig a pond what else can we do to help our froggy friends. That's a good one. So you can build a place for them to spend the winter. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned some frogs will hibernate in a pond, mm -hmm. but not all do. Mm. Um, a lot of them will hibernate just on land and just under leaf litter. So oh. just don't don't tidy up too much. Yeah, leave you know? a little bit for them. Leave a little mm -hmm. area, a little wildlife area. Mm -hmm. So they'll hibernate in piles of leaves and things. Because mm -hmm. again, as those break down, that releases heat. That's going to keep them you know, a little bit warm mm -hmm. over the winter. Log piles are also really good for things mm -hmm. like newts. Things will hide underneath there through the winter. Mm -hmm. So building a little hibernaculum. Hibernaculum, that's such a wonderful it's word. A good one. Hibernaculum. Yeah. I think these are really, really important because a few a couple of years ago we had a really, really weird, weird winter. We had a cold, cold January and then really, really warm, warm February. Yeah. So I think there was a I remember days of about nineteen degrees Celsius, yep. which was crazy for february for the northern hemisphere and but then march this unbelievable cold spell i remember i was up in scotland at the time so i remember snow i was off work for two weeks but i can remember it was a huge crisis for the frogs because they woke up from their hype the ones that are hibernating they woke up from hibernation they think it's all sunny you know sun's out it's time to go spring is here and then they get hit by the cold spell and a lot of them actually died a lot of tadpoles actually died from waking up obviously or no actually existing too soon and yeah like that. so i think think yeah hibernaculums and having a think about what else you can do to help them along their natural cycle i think 
would be really, really good. Yeah, little safe places. Little safe places. Um, so another thing that is very popular is to raise tadpoles into froglets. I definitely remember doing this in school, and it's probably one of my fondest memories, having a tank at the back of the class. And actually, it was probably my first interaction with sort of frogs and that sort of thing, and remembering these little jelly things with a little black dot in the middle. And then as the weeks went by, changing and changing until we had just this gorgeous pond of tadpoles it was just beautiful yeah and it's your first sort of interaction with how life can change and how diverse yeah life is. it's really, really yeah. incredible so i recommend this 110 percent. so it's a fabulous thing to do and um the nice thing about it as well is that even if a lot of the tadpoles don't make it in your home aquarium mm-hmm. which is entirely which possible is <laughs> but it's still going to pretty likely have a higher survival rate than the ones in the wild. Mm-hmm. I think survival rates in the wild are, I think I saw a statistic of it's something like 5% of eggs. But remember, frogs oh lay hundreds oh, of eggs, yeah. right? So if in your little clutch of eggs, if you manage to raise five of them or 10 of them, mm-hmm. that is going to be a significantly higher survival rate than in the wild. So you're kind of giving them a little bit of a boost. Um, so what I would recommend is that when you've got a, a clump of eggs, usually you're going to have quite a lot of eggs. You're going to mm-hmm. have like 50 of them in even a very small clump. Once they hatch, actually take a lot of those tadpoles and then put them back in the pond where they came for and from and just have a few of them in your tank. Oh. Yeah. So then the rest can go into the wild, but keep your few in the tank. A good ratio to keep in mind is... Uh, basically treat them the same way you would treat an aquarium fish. And the rule is, I think it was something like an inch of fish per liter of water or per gallon of water. I think it was per liter of water. Mm-hmm. So think about an inch of tadpole mm-hmm. per liter yeah, and definitely of your tank. Definitely use pond water for this and not tap water. Uh, definitely don't use tap water. <laughs> So you can use pond. Definitely use San Pellegrino. San, no, 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 definitely not. Not, not carbonated no. water. Um, so pond water would be good, and but it it really should be from the pond that they came from, because mm-hmm. the water chemistry is going to be what they're familiar with. What they're with. used to, yeah. But then also remember about spreading diseases. If you're Ooh. taking pond water from one pond and then mm-hmm. you're emptying it into a different pond, you can be spreading things like mm-hmm. ranavirus and chytrid fungus. So if you take tadpoles and frogs mm-hmm. from one pond and water, put mm-hmm. them back in that same pond so that you're not spreading anything around. Mm-hmm. And then also the water chemistry is going to be what they're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Then what I would recommend is if your tank does not have a water filter, which it doesn't need, it doesn't need to have one, uh, you should do regular water changes of somewhere around 30% of the water. Oh, wow. Okay. 20 to 30% maybe once a week should be pretty okay. If you are changing the water, again, you can change it with water from the pond that they came from, or you can actually use tap water, but pour it into a, some kind of container, like a bowl or something, and leave it out for a mm-hmm. few days. That's going to allow the chlorine to evaporate. Mm-hmm. And then it should be okay. You can do that with normal fish mm-hmm. tank fish as well. Oh, incredible. Yeah, and that just keeps things... Because remember that these frogs, they're, the tadpoles, they're eating... But then they're also going to the toilet in that tank. Mm-hmm. Which means that though that um, nitrates that they're releasing in their waste will build up in the pond. And if you change that, then you're kind of keeping the water fresh. Other thing to keep in mind is that, of course, as tadpoles grow up, they're turning into frogs. Mm-hmm. And frogs tend to live on land. So as they grow up, make sure you provide somewhere 
for your frogs to your little froglets to rest as they mm. start to develop their, their body legs. their body is changing they're not going to be as they still might be quite good swimmers but not the same body shape that's made them so excellent at swimming in a pond yes so yeah but also some... they lose their gills and they're developing lungs it's <sighs> incredible so, <laughs> so they're beautiful. yeah so the the point is when they basically once they've got their limbs they're also losing their gills at that point and they're developing lungs so they're moving from being water breathing to air breathing animals and if you don't have any for where for them to rest near the surface where their like little heads can poke out and breathe air, oh. it means that they're going to be swimming all the time. They can get exhausted mm-hmm. and they can drown. Oh. <laughs> so devastating. I know. So I know how them... long I can tread water for, and I think it's not. It's very embarrassing compared to a frog. So. Frog. So yeah. that's where little like mm-hmm. floating plants or something, mm-hmm. somewhere where they can kind of perch themselves to to mm-hmm. take a break. And then once they have their legs and they've mm-hmm. pretty much lost their tails the best bet is to actually put them back in the pond because they're starting to become carnivorous at that point mm-hmm. and they'll need to be feeding on invertebrates mm-hmm. and let them let them do their thing and enjoy them yeah enjoy them from afar now you mentioned earlier that you have pet frogs i do have pet frogs and they are they make frogs do make an excellent excellent pet but there's definitely some sort of things to think about if you are interested in having your own pet frog I personally have looked after white tree frogs before, also known as Australian green frogs, also known as dumpy tree frogs, which are adorable. I personally think they make excellent first-time frog pets because they're quite enigmatic looking. They kind of look like they're smiling a little bit. They tend to be quite charismatic when they're in their tanks as well and they are since they're quite large as well i think they're when you are if you do want to handle them and we'll get into that a little bit later on how to i think it's quite good as well for the first time frog owner i've got um not (laughs) tree frog i've got tiny tiny tree frogs they're called um thumbnail frogs is what they're called because they're basically the size of your thumbnail Mm -hmm. they are the tiny tiny poison dart frogs and they are not a handling frog they are very fast and if they hop away from you they will disappear gone uh so they're not handling but frogs they do make really good pets but some things to keep in mind are make sure you choose your species carefully so do your homework about Mm. what kind of frog you would like to keep and make sure you're going to be able to give them the right conditions Mm -hmm. so the ones i chose i chose them because they don't need very very warm conditions basically the conditions of a normal uk house are totally fine for them through the winter. But um, some frogs need a much higher temperature depending on what they're being used to, yeah. Yeah, some frogs would be very picky about mm-hmm. humidity. Um, mm-hmm. Make sure you're going to be able to give them the food that they need as mm-hmm. well. So frogs, basically, they need live food. Mm-hmm. They, I, th- I think they need it to be moving around, mm-hmm. basically, before they eat it. And with your frog, sometimes you have to give them a little supplement with it. That's it, mm-hmm. because in captivity, the frogs are going to have a much smaller dietary range, which means they're not getting all the nutrients they need. So with the frogs that I have, yeah, I have to give them um, particularly calcium and then another vitamin mm-hmm. supplement as well, which you dust their food in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely something to consider. It's yeah. not, you can't just give just the flies or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so do your homework mm-hmm. on what species you want, what's going to be right for mm-hmm. you. But there's a wide range of, of different ones that are available. Mm-hmm. I think the big thing to think as well is if you are getting a frog, is make sure you get it from a reputable source. Make sure you know it's not illegally brought in. Make sure you know that it's actually allowed to be 
as a pet because for all the reasons we listed earlier about fungus, chytrid fungus and the ranavirus, you don't want to be spreading disease, but you also don't want to be involved in the illegal wildlife trade and taking away species that are maybe endangered and should be maybe kept in the wild as well. So frogs are de- definitely big in the illegal wildlife trade because mm-hmm. they are so brightly coloured and attractive mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people who like to collect very rare species of them so just keep that in mind if you're this is definitely not a pet that you buy off ebay or something like that go to a reputable supplier and if it's a new import then it it should have paperwork associated with it the people you buy it from should have paperwork saying that they had a license to import it from the country of origin um, because a lot of frogs are protected species Mm -hmm. The other option is to go with a breeder that has been operating, you know, in the public for Mm -hmm. for a while. And I would say that's preferable to a Mm -hmm. new import is to go with a breeder because it reduces the pressure on the wild population for collection. So that's what I did. I went with Mm -hmm. uh, with a breeder that I knew and that other frog keepers knew the frog um, community. <laughs> yeah, the frog community was uh, was a reputable breeder. Mm-hmm. And then I also chose the species carefully as well. Species that I went with is a species that is not really trafficked very much. So I knew that it was highly unlikely to be like smuggled into the country and then sold in that way. I knew it was one that was going to be... Well-sourced and ethical. <laughs> I think that maybe the other thing as well with frogs is if you're looking for something you can pick up all the time and cuddle, frogs are maybe not the pet for you. Now, some frogs, like the white tree frog, are hand- handleable. <laughs> you can handle them, but it's things to consider before you do, or if you were to get frogs for a class, things to ensure that you're enforcing before you handle them. I think a big thing is to make sure you don't have any anti-bat, you don't have any soap on your hands, your hands are maybe damp and sprayed. Um, if you're out doing research, like I was, I was out in the Caribbean researching frogs for 12 weeks. We had to make sure we didn't A, have any sun cream on us ever if we were wanting to handle any species and B, make sure we didn't have any insect repellent because um, that's obviously skin. We've already chatted about how sensitive frog skin is. That's if you are holding them, anything you have in your hands is seeping absorbed yeah. into their, their bodies. Their skin is so porous and mm-hmm. sensitive. So yeah, sunscreen, insecticides and, and pest, pesticides yeah. are um, insect repellent particularly because mm-hmm. they can be just very harmful mm-hmm. to aquatic ecosystems in general. In general. Yeah. So if you are touching uh, the skin of an animal mm-hmm. with a very sensitive skin, that can, can seriously harm mm-hmm. them and stress them out. Um, but yeah, frogs are not... Some might tolerate being handled, mm-hmm. but they do not like it. They don't like it, yeah. No. If you do want to handle a frog, mm-hmm. the way to do it is, depending on the species, some of them aren't big hoppers. With mm-hmm. those, you can just let them like walk on your hand mm-hmm. um, if they're not a very hoppy kind mm-hmm. of species. If they are a hoppy species, and if you are like a frog researcher, this is what they'll do as well, is they'll you grab them around the middle with their back legs extended out mm-hmm. and that way they're not going to injure themselves because they're you kind of immobilize them basically mm-hmm. so their legs aren't going to be kicking around because their their bones are quite sensitive so if they're kicking around and thrashing you know mm-hmm. their muscles are quite strong they can end up injuring or breaking yeah. their legs and things like that but so you get them around the middle back legs extended and then that's it they can't move and researchers will do that if they're testing for things like chytrid fungus they need mm-hmm. to like swab their toes to test if the fungus is there that kind of thing we're checking for health and then again making sure that your hands are always damp 
It's more mm-hmm. moist when you're yeah. handling a frog. But you don't need to keep or handle or have a pet frog mm-hmm. in order to enjoy them. You can just go out into the mm-hmm. wild and find a frog. I always think spring is just such a wonderful time to go. Kind of April, May, April time, maybe even the end of March if it's been a mild month, and actually go to kind of wetland areas, see some ponds, and actually have a look for tadpoles. And maybe if you if you live close to one, maybe I think it'd be quite fun to see how it changes over the season. Maybe you can go spot the frog spawn, then see the tadpoles, and yeah, see where if you have any froglets later on i think that's i think that's really wonderful really yeah awesome. when i uh, worked at a wetland center it was always lovely we had um, some log piles that we would look through regularly and then around you know april may time if you looked under the logs you'd start to see these tiny tiny little froglets that have moved out of the pond and are <laughs> so hiding cute. under there it's very cute so you can just look at them mm-hmm. and enjoy them in the wild you don't need to no, keep need to them. Have them as a pet no, no not at all yeah going and spotting them Mm-hmm. Excellent way to, mm-hmm. to enjoy the frogs listening to their calls. Mm-hmm. That's great as well. Another option is go out at night, actually, and use a torch. See if you can spot them that way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them, especially things like newts, not frogs, but newts will be um, active at night. So you go out with a torch and shine them in the mm-hmm. ponds and see if you can spot them moving around. Mm-hmm. Same, actually, with a lot of the tropical frogs. When I was researching them at nighttime was when we would go out and you could hear just the jungle was a chorus of their beautiful calls which was always really nice in the kind of variety. There is genuinely one that sounds like a lightsaber. Pew, 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 pew. And that was a really fun one to hear. That's very cool. Yeah. If you are thinking pet frogs, I will say red-eyed tree frog. Do not make the best pets. Why? Because they are nocturnal. So when you are awake, they will be sleeping. You will not see their red eyes, which they are famous for. Mm -hmm. Uh, So not the best. No, not at all. Right. But I think that brings us in to the end of the episode. So hopefully, if you weren't, hopefully you might have already liked frogs, but if you were a bit unsure of them, hopefully we've convinced you of how amazing they are, how incredible they are, how much we love them and how much we want everyone to be inspired to try and save them and help them as much as they can whether that's on their own in their house with a school group with a youth group whatever just save the frogs guys so thanks for listening thank you so much we'll see you next time yeah catch you later bye